everyone, it's Monday night. It's time for Use It or Lose It. And, of course, Super Rugby has started, as has Six Nations. So we're going to chat about that. I've just got to show you. I had to pull this out. I haven't worn it for about 20 years. This was my Diggers Centenary, I think it was, rugby jersey. Uh, I played there in my, well, late teens and early 20s. Great years, I can tell you. I'm not sure that club rugby is all that it was then. I'm going to be sweating like an absolute, <laughs> I don't know what, during the show, though, because it's one of the, the old-fashioned long-sleeve jerseys, which does give you an indication about how long ago I played the game. Time to introduce the first of tonight's guests. We're hoping the second guest will arrive soon, which is going to be Couch Critic. But we've got Jared Wright joining us now. Uh, oh, sorry, I've taken him out of the stream instead of putting him in. Uh, Jared, good to have you on the show. Uh, you've been a busy man on Twitter following all your Saffirs abroad. Yeah, uh, we don't have a shortage of them abroad. Uh, we're all doing pretty well, which is good to see at least. And without going into any detail, you, you did mention to me just before the show that Brexit may have a little bit of an impact on that. They reckon it, it might slow things down a little bit? Yeah, um, some of the players might be heading back our way or to France in uh, 2021. From what I can see, I'm not too sure about all the details, but uh, that's as much as I've picked up. Excellent. Well, joining us now, he's on a business trip. Uh, where are you down in Caledon, uh, Couch? What are you doing in Caledon for business? I'm uh, checking, checking out the hot springs. Uh, you know, it's important work, Brent. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Well, good to have you on the show. You missed the intro. I've just got to show you. What, what do you think of my Diggers Centenary rugby jersey when I played first 15 for Diggers about oh, 24, 25 years ago? I was going to say, Brent, uh, what was that like uh, 20, 20 years ago? Eh? I mean, um, obviously, obviously you, you were a hooker then and you still are, it seems. Huh? <laughs> well, i tell you what, this jersey used to be a lot looser on me. I was actually an eighth man. I've got some good stories from those days, but I must say my son saw me in it now and says, geez, Dad, were you a prop? And I can't really blame him for, for asking that. Anyway, let's get into the, the show because yeah. uh, Couch Dame with you, we had a busy weekend. We're going to talk a bit of Super Rugby tonight. We're going to talk a bit of Six Nations. If you're new to our channel, please go down and hit the subscribe button. We, of course, are going live on Facebook as well as YouTube tonight. So, Couch, uh, as far as the, the first week of Super Rugby goes, let me ask you, first of all, overall question. If we had to look at the betting at the start, you had Crusaders, firm favourites. Uh, one or two teams might have surprised on the week, but I think virtually everyone you ask, if you say who's going to win the competition, they'll still stick with the Crusaders. And I think, um, I don't know, maybe we'll have a look at the Crusaders conference specifically in a, in a little bit, but, uh, you know, obviously defensively there might have been a few issues, but uh, on, on attack the Crusaders show that, you know, when you've got a fantastic system going, anyone can step into the role and, and just perform. And, and it's it's incredible. You know, it's almost like, I think, Leinster and, and, and the Crusaders and, and the, usually the All Blacks in general just have that system going where someone can just step in and, and continue and they've got the same kind of uh, flow going. And, and that's what the Crusaders have. I mean, on attack, they were silky smooth. Scoring uh, six tries in your first week of uh, Super Rugby is, is a pretty mean effort. I mean... Uh, the Waratahs might not be great shakes, but uh, attackingly, they were definitely, they were, they were superb. Right, and let's talk now specifically about the South African teams. I'll start with the Sharks against the Bulls. That took place on Friday night. I missed the first half. looked like a pretty dour affair. I think it was 9-6 to the Bulls at half time. The Sharks, Sharks then scored shortly after the break and eventually managed to uh, win the game and seal it and also beat the handicap for those of us like me who were on the minus four and a half just from a betting angle. But right in the last minute, what did you make, first of all, of, of the Sharks on the night? 
Oh, Brent, I think it was difficult to say. I was I was always tentative on on the handicap punt because uh, you know I knew it was it was a bit of a coin toss that one, especially first game out and in Durban. You know, I think everyone underestimates the, the humidity effect there. It's, you could clearly see it was treated as a as a wet game. Uh, obviously, everyone's uh, bringing out memes and stuff about uh, ten years ago of Mornay Stain. The ball just went to Mornay Stain and just kicked the die into the air, and it was chases happening, and that was pretty much all we saw. But the Sharks uh, did the same tactic, and at the end of the day, the Sharks probably just did it a little bit better. I thought uh, the Bulls were pretty poor under the high ball, which was surprising. You know, guys like Warwick Galant uh, didn't didn't cope with it. Cornell Hendricks, that was a bit surprising. So the Sharks just uh, just won the game there, and. You know, forward-wise, I think it was a, it was it was quite even. So I don't think the Sharks have got too much to grow about. Oxenshay still needs to get into his work. We know him as a dominant uh, loose runner, and he wasn't quite that in the first game. But hopefully, he'll get there, and the Sharks will take that, put it in the bank, and move on. But uh, nothing to get too excited about from the men in uh, black and white, and definitely not too much to get excited about from the Bulls collective either. Well, I'll pop back to you now just to ask you about their prospects, but let's go to Jared on this one. Jared, it was a typical Friday night in Durban at this time of year, wasn't it? I mean, the humidity was something else. And I've often heard guys say before the games, well, the Sharks are used to the humidity, but it seems like humidity you just never get used to because the Sharks battle seemingly as much as any of the other teams uh, when they're at home at this time of year. No, I, th I think they do. And um, I don't think it's pretty, uh, It's too much down to the skill set. Um, I think if you played a test match there on Friday nights, I think you would have the same issues going on. But, uh, yeah, I, I, for one, thought that uh, Mornay Stan had a brilliant game on Friday. Um, not a lot of people will agree with me, but uh, I thought his ex, he was excellent with kicking the ball. I do think that the Bulls made a massive mistake by kicking um, their penalty five minutes from the end. And then the Sharks went and scored another try. I think um, they should have kicked it to the corner, set up the driving more, and tried to, to cross the line. I mean, Victor Mat if Victor Matfield was leading that side, there's no way he would have given the ball to Mornay there. I don't think so. But, yeah, um, I think there were some good positives. Um, one of the biggest things for me is um, the Springbok guys that were involved with the World Cup just seem to be playing on a different level to the rest of the players. They, I don't know if it's just a confidence thing or what it is, but uh, guys like Sabun Korsi really, really stepped up this weekend and looks much better than he did this time in Super Rugby last year. Yeah, it's good to see the box stepping up. Of course, unfortunately, a couple of injuries there as well um, in that game. I, I see Khaleesi's out for a while. That's yeah, in the well, Stormers game, right? The Stormers game. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yes, of course. I'm thinking of this. I'm already thinking ahead to the Stormers. As you know, my money's on the Stormers, Ian. So, so I'm really so excited to talk about them. But yeah, no, fair, fair point. I thought I thought um, I thought Nkusi was pretty good. I, I I mainly got to watch the second half, which I gather was the better half to to watch. But Jared, if I have to ask you long-term prospects, I mean, we we can't read too much into the first week. But if you're a Sharks fan or or by contrast a Bulls fan, I mean, do you still have do you still have uh, ambitions of winning this tournament? I think you will always have amb ambitions to do so, but um, uh, it sounds cliche, but the guys will be taking it week by week, seeing where they are with their injuries and that sort of thing. And it's, it all depends how you tour. It's once you hit New Zealand, Australia, one hiccup in Australia, and all of a sudden a tour is disastrous. Even if you pick up one win in um, New Zealand, then all of a sudden you're shining. 
So I think, uh, yo, I think we can only start looking at it once we hit the tour. But um, yeah, for the for the Bulls, I'm not too sure. The Sharks, I'm a bit more confident. But maybe that's uh, just the Shark support team in my my black and white blood over there. I didn't realize we had two Shark supporters on the show tonight. <laughs> It's going to hit new eyes. Definitely. Should have invited old yellow cap along to talk for the for, for the bulls there. But Couch, any comments from your side as far as long term go? I mean, I know you're a betting man. I see the Sharks 13 to 2 for the South African conference. Uh, the Bulls have almost been written off by the books. They're out to 18 to 1. Uh, only the Lions behind them in the betting there. I mean, is it premature to write off the Bulls? Uh Bulls 18 to 1 to win the conference, Brent. Yes. Oh well, I must say that's that's not too bad. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't give the Bulls. It's it's a pipe gym, you know. The Bulls are they 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 where the Lions are at the moment. It's it's a pretty young side, apart from one or two experienced guys. And I think they're on a learning curve. I know you know people get sick and tired of that. But in the Bulls' case, I think it's it's certainly certainly the case. And it's just a, a question of whether it's the right coach to you know take take youngsters along and and take them into the future. But uh, so I wouldn't say that. I, I don't actually think it's going to be for the Sharks either. But as uh, Jared said, it depends on, on what happens on tour. And I actually want to ask him maybe whether, he, you know, this whole argument about whether it's a good thing um, to go on tour early. So it's going to be an interesting one uh, for the Sharks because obviously they already, I think they've already landed probably. Um, they're already over there. So maybe, Jared, do you think it's, it's a good or bad thing to have uh, the early tour? Yeah, I, I think um, especially going to New Zealand right now is actually a good thing. Um, I don't know if you picked up, but with the Crusaders this weekend, they pulled their All Blacks quite uh, quickly. I didn't watch the too much of the second half of the, the Hurricanes if um, to see how long Perinara and those guys stayed on. But uh, they're pulling their All Blacks and they're minim minimizing their numbers at the, mo at the moment. So... Yeah, I'd say going down to New Zealand now is perfect timing. Um, I don't see the box resting too many guys right now. So, yeah, I don't think there's a better time to tour than right now. I think just to come in there, Couch, I, I tend to agree with you. you know, funny enough, particularly for the Sharks, because we spoke about those humid conditions. And, I mean, I've had years before where I've been heavily on the Sharks, and they've started off with five home games. And it's almost as though those conditions sap your energy when you're there at this time of year over a period of time, which is also understandable. And and, and to, just to Jared's point earlier about skill set, I mean, we saw the Sharks go to Johannesburg last year and play in wet weather. I mean, proper rain. And they turned in one of the great performances, you know, that I've seen as far as handling goes. It's just something about that hot humidity down in Durban, which is hard. And I also think it's a good thing. I, I do. I think it's a good thing for them to tour now. They're also a side that has shown that they can beat New Zealand sides in their own backyard. They really wanted the few South African sides to do that. So, yeah, I, I think it's pretty good. And, yeah, I, I liked, for me, it was a choice between the Sharks and the Stormers as far as the South African conference goes at the start. I must admit, it looks, we'll talk about them a bit later, it looks as though I may have written off the Haguaris a little bit prematurely because they certainly put the put, put, put the Lions away. But, uh, yeah, so the Sharks and the, looking decent for them. Bulls probably not to be written off. But let's move on to perhaps the performance of the weekend couch, and that was Stormers up against the Hurricanes. The Stormers winning 27-0. Now, I've read a lot of reports the Hurricanes didn't play that well. I only watched bits and pieces of the game. But to keep a New Zealand side to zero points in what looked like pretty damn good conditions, that's going some. Yeah, Brent, uh, just just lastly on the Sharks game, I just want to say that uh, uh, old Noamba is definitely going to be a firm favourite of mine uh, going forward after delivering on a beautiful last try there. So, 
I'm already a, a big fan and I'd like to uh, perhaps talk to Jared at the end of the show just a little bit about uh, DuPont and maybe Herschel Yankees as well as I think the scum offs had a pretty amazing uh, first week. But onto onto the Stormers and the Herschel there. Um, yeah, I also only watched in bits and pieces and, and gave up at the end. So I also couldn't say, uh, Jared, uh, whether the Hurricanes pulled their, pulled their guys because I pretty much wrote it off as a, a, a result in and, and didn't watch too much further because the Hurricanes really didn't pitch up for that game. And I know guys like Heinrich maybe uh, think it's because they enjoy Cape Town so much. And uh, I definitely don't think it's, it's a case of them arriving there and thinking it's result in the bag. You know, they they'd always know that the Stormers are going to be tough, but... You know, maybe they just weren't ready for it, or maybe it is a case of the Hurricanes just not being ready for the season with the late, uh, uh, late loss of John Plumtree and quite a few players out, and maybe things just aren't quite quite gelling there. So it could be a little bit more of a, a long term long term issue for them. But uh, Stormers wise, you know, they did what we expected them to do. They were solid at the front, and then there was a little bit of a razzle dazzle at the back, which proved uh, proved too much. And I mean, that little cross kick from Herschel Yankees was was superb spot on nice to see and then they were rather clinical which is another another good thing to see from a from a south african team so no, it was a good solid performance obviously putting putting a team to null is is always good and especially the hurricanes but yeah i felt they were well well and truly off color and maybe it was exactly that thing they weren't playing in the right color yeah possibly yeah i mean i must say i was watching at a uh, I wouldn't call it a pub, but it was a place where you could have alcohol. But the TV was a bit in the in the distance, and I did struggle a little bit with the with the shirts and that. There, I just thought quickly from a betting angle, I see the Stormers are cut now to about fourteen to one from 25, 22 to one for the title. They're fourteen to ten second favourites for the for the conference. But Herschel Yankees, if you read my preview on Good for the Game, I said I'm gonna I'm gonna come back and and see what price Herschel Yankees is for any time try scorer. And of course, I totally forgot about that. So when I saw him romping over for the for the, for the try there, I thought, oh, can can you can you believe it? But anyway, we will. I would like to touch on the scrummies later because I also thought there were some some great performances. Jared, what did you make of the Stormers uh, team? Is it is it too early for Stormers fans to get excited? Was it this just off color Hurricanes, or is there is there a real uh, title feel about the Stormers? Yeah, well, we we touched on it earlier about touring and. Uh... Lately, well, the last few seasons, the Stormers have been terrible at that. So, yeah, I, I don't want to bang away too much on the touring, but uh, their season will live or die on how well they tour. They, they've got a good enough pack to um, get them by. They've got a great pack, and that's the forefront of their game. But if they come to a team like the Crusaders that might be able to match them up front, then it starts becoming a, a different story altogether. I think, but uh, yeah, it's I, I, I wouldn't get too carried away as Stormers supporters. I think they two or three players lots in key in key positions, and if they lose those players, it could become a long, long season. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I think they still got a chance to maybe win the South African Conference, but I wouldn't put them too far um, into a semi-final, especially if they're away from home. Yeah, if they've got to travel, it could be it could be a problem. Uh, Dino just commenting there uh, about the Sunhills performance. I definitely want to get to that after we've spoken about the South African games because there was no doubt about it, the shock of the weekend. And we'll perhaps touch on some super results there as well. But uh, anything else, uh, Couch, from yourself on the, on the Stormers to add before we move on to discuss the Lions' Argentinian performance? Uh, Brent, it's just a little bit of 
of Groundhog Day, you know, if the Storm is every year, it's it's almost the same thing. You see them, they, they're great on paper. They put in a couple of good performances. Everyone starts buying the bubbly and then uh, you're left having to keep it keep it for the New Year celebrations because they just don't deliver. So, you know, they still got to prove to me that they can do this week in and week out. And, you know, as Jared said, it's it's especially going to be true when they lose a, a couple of guys because I don't think they have the same same depth that they maybe had uh, earlier or in, or in other years. So, you know, Kulisi out for, for a little bit and, and Bonambi. So we'll we'll start to see a little bit more about, about the character. But I think actually they're the one team that's probably in, in need of a good run at Newlands and really get that good momentum going and, and then go on the tour. So so I think it, it, it could be a good one, but you know, there's still still a lot of things that need to happen and, and fall into place for the Stormers to be real. But I do think it's between the Stormers and the Jaguars for, for the South African conference, yes. Jared, let's go to the Lions now. They were they were away in Argentina. Very uh, late kickoff there, or early kickoff, depending which way you want to look at it. So I didn't stay up for that one, but uh, I, I, I did fancy the Jags on the day. Although I see halftime was only ten eight to the Aguaris, but running out comfortable winners. I don't know. Did you get to to see this game? Uh, form any opinion on the Lions there? I, I did catch the highlights, but I didn't watch too much into it. Um, but. It's the same old story from each season. The Lions don't like going to Argentina. They make it very clear about the team, with the team that they pick. And they go there almost expecting just to maybe scrape a losing bonus point if that's even possible. And they've done it just about every season since the um, Aguares came in. They did it under Ackerman, they did it under Swayze, and they're doing it again now. So... To me, I, yeah, I didn't stay up to watch the game, and I didn't stay up to watch the game for that exact reason. I wasn't going to sit there and just watch the Lions lose. I didn't see any joy in it. Um, watching the highlights, though, that uh, Haguari's um, Plaho looks very, very good. Um, Motti Moyati, he looks very good, and uh, I reckon we probably see him in a, a Pumas jersey even in June, maybe. We'll keep an eye on him. Couch, just coming to the Lions and to Jared's point, I mean, I remember the first time the Lions did that, they were very much in contention for, I think it was a home, home or sort of second on the log or first on the log. They were contesting with the Crusaders and they sacrificed yeah. the game against Aguaris and then it all it kind of backfired on them, if I remember, without thinking of the details. And he's spot on. They, they almost go over there, you know, without any real intent to win the game, which if they were going to New Zealand to do that against a New Zealand team, you know, you're doing it against a team that's not in your conference, but it's not really a, a wise game to play when you're playing against a side that's actually in your conference and you're giving them a, a, a cracking start now. Yes, exactly, Brent. I think uh, Ackerman did it a few seasons ago and it's almost like he created this uh, slight uh, negative mental aspect to it that, you know, we can't win over here. It's so, so difficult when he went for that full B team and I actually think it, uh, yeah, it, it, it cost him a little bit that, that, that year. But... Um, and and especially with a young team, you know, you don't want that kind of negativity around the youngsters that that went over there. You know, they should have gone over there telling themselves that this is the first game of a season. You know, do do what the Sunwolves did and, and catch everyone unawares and and just absolutely leave it all on the park. So that was a little bit disappointing, and it'll be interesting to see the kind of team they pick this week. Whether it's going to change a lot, and Simulani and those kind of guys are actually the A team guys, and they're going to come in, or whether it's going to be the same team and. And Cash did actually play play his best, so that's going to be interesting. But I mean, you know, I told you on Thursday, I thought this was a a subpar Lions team, and I expect them to finish last in the conference. I think it's going to be 
it's going to be a long, hard season for this uh, young Lions team. But I uh, saw Jakub Krill on, on Twitter this morning or probably, probably yesterday's tweet or a few days ago. He's back in camp. So it depends on, on what kind of difference him and the Willem Alberts can bring to that team and really try and... Um, you know, you know, lift them and and make them competitive. But I mean, I don't see them making the playoffs. And as I said, I think it could um, it could end up being a, a bit of a a bit of a chain chain wreck this one. And Jaguars, obviously, it depends on whether they can keep this momentum going. But I like what I saw there. It was some good play of the forwards. Uh, I had the same thing as we had with Herschel Yankees. I woke up. I was celebrating the fact that Crevy uh, uh, scored the last try. I thought I was sure I was on him as last try scorer, and I wasn't. So it was pretty disappointing. But uh, now they've got the rolling mall going again, and, and everything looks pretty pretty good. They've got that fast-paced offloading running game in today, so it's it's looking it's looking pretty for the Jaguars, and it's actually going to be a cracker uh, when they get the Hurricanes there. So I think they could really put them away. Excellent. Well, let's move on to some of the other games on the weekend, and I want to go straight to the Sunwolves game. Dino eventually commenting on that performance now. Uh, I've just put up a little post there. I play in a super brew pool with nine people. It's all ex people actually have retired from our company and that they've sort of kept it together. Uh, I generally do pretty well in this pool. And, and the reason why I think you'll, you'll see here, five of the nine players picked the Sunwolves to win. Now, they were right. So, I mean, I can't argue with that. One of them or two of them got the Grand Slam point. But, Couch, I'm sure you'll agree that if you're playing in a pool with guys picking the Sunwolves, they were 18-point underdogs on the day. You've got to think of the long term. <laughs> they're not going to do that well. Brent, you know me, I'm, I'm pretty big on these games and I was I was absolutely bitter. I'm the same as you. I, I play in a pool with a couple of, you know, die-hard kind of supporters. So I know they're going to be picking with their hearts and, instead of their heads. So I actually fancy myself taking some money off them because it's also a, a, a buy-in pool. So every year I think I'm, I'm going to do it and somehow it just, uh, I never seem to deliver. And this season, again, there were a couple of guys going for the Sunwolves and I was thinking, geez, this is points in the bag. And, you know, such a, as you say, global point, you could get it for all the results and the Sunwolves go and bugger you up there. That was, I mean, that was a shocker for the pocket and for fantasy. So that wasn't nice. But if we slip straight into the Sunwolves there, I mean, I, I pretty much wrote them off. I gave them a bit of a, a, bit of a stinker in, in my outright preview as well. I wasn't expecting anything out of the squad. You know, it's 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 the only squad in probably the history of Super Rugby that's got no, almost a complete overall from the from the previous season. It's it's bloody amazing, and um, you know they've got some some decent guys in there. That winger is a is a monster, and they've got Bentayo, and you know Garth Pro at his best is probably a Super Rugby player. But geez, I didn't see that performance. I know you you lose Michael Leach and Lapis Lapiskachny, or absolutely you know they've got that cult status in Japan, and and. Uh, uh, what's the name the the winger and oh, I mean you just take those guys out and and little and and you thought there's there's just no chance take out the coach and and surely they're not going to be able to perform without those guys but yeah you know, somehow they delivered and now I don't know Jared Jared's got to tell me I'm I'm obviously clueless on the Sunwolves whether, whether they can keep performing or whether this was a one shot wonder. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know if it was just a one shot shot but um. Yeah, I, I, I can see why everyone wrote off the Suns, but I can also see why we all shouldn't have. Um, I know it's their last year in the in the competition and that kind of thing, but um, there's a, they, they've put together a team of, I don't really want to call them rejects, but that's that's the only word I can think of putting into yeah. it. You, you look at a guy like Rudy Page, um, Garth April, JJ Engelbrecht, Ben Tio, they 
Bentio is maybe an exception, but most of those guys were struggling to to get contracts around Japan in other countries, and they've signed for the Sun Wolves, and they've got a season to sort of prove that they that they deserve a contract somewhere. So they're not just playing for uh, they're playing for pride, and then they're playing also to to carry on playing rugby as professional sports. So. I, I can see why they put in a performance like that. And to be honest, the Rebels were were poor. Like, I I, I don't know what's uh, happened there with Dave Vessels. He's a brilliant coach, but uh, he'll be fuming at that performance. He really will. But like I say, even even their coach, he's got something to prove um, that Akubo is uh, wants uh, to prove something, try to get a bigger job in Japan. A lot of the players um, were released from top league sides, so there's another shot. And also with the Japanese players, once they finish under play for under 20s, they have to finish their varsity before they start playing uh, professional sports. So they have a few under 20 players that have faltered into that side as well, ones that didn't pick up top league contracts. So yeah, those guys, they, they will be putting their bodies on the line for the rest of the season as much as they can. Interesting. I didn't know that about the about finishing varsity. Um, Couch, before you give any more comment on, on, on the Sunwolves or anything, I've got to ask you, does, does Jared remind you of a professional rugby player or not? Like anyone in particular? He reminds me of someone. I just want to see if, it's, if he reminds you of anyone. Does he look like anyone to you? No, I don't know. Brent, you got it. I don't want to take a shot in the dark here. What are you thinking? I'm thinking Mornay Stain. He looks like Mornay Stain. I was, was going to say the same thing. I thought maybe you were you were going France. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking, uh, that's, that's a Mornay look there. <laughs> oh, dear. So, they are. anyway. Uh, just, just Listen, Brent, um, Brent just, just on the side, I must say that the one thing that Jared's got there is that, you know, I suppose the, the, the opposite to what I said is uh, a barbarian team, you know, just uh, put together at the last minute and they can't perform. But at the same time, you, you get that Lions effect that, that the Lions had three or four seasons ago where, as as Jared mentions, you know, guys playing for their contracts and, you know, these they, they're still professional rugby players just about on the fringe and they know that might be, you know, this is the moment where you either go up or you go down and, you know, out of out of rugby. So, they could have quite a, you know, those JJ Engelbrass, Garth April kind of guys who are pretty much playing this this last shot and, and they're really ready to, to put it on the line. And I think it was almost the, the bloody opposite for the Rebels. They pitched up there and it was like they thought it was job done. It's first game of the season and apparently they've had a pretty poor preseason as well. So I don't know what the Vessels has got. He sounds more like Robbie Vessels than Dave Vessels at the moment because it's a joke. So uh, I don't know what what he's going to pull there, but he needs to to really pull up their socks because I mean they were, uh, you know, conference favourites and they went and and they gave an absolute shock of a performance and yeah, just hello to Shane and as Chris says there as well, um, yeah, I'm I'm staying clear of the sun. I don't think they're playing this weekend, fortunately, but when the Sun Wolves do play again, I'll I'll uh, approach with caution there because clearly uh, I I don't have much hope on them at this stage. Yeah, it was always dangerous to ride the team off at the start of the season. And I'll, ne- I'll never forget to do that with the Kings a few years ago. And I was like, ride them off. And I mean, to be fair, they lost the games. But, of course, we're talking – when you talk from a betting angle, they, you're talking handicaps. But they kept beating handicaps. And I kept on waiting for them to fall apart, and then they wouldn't fall apart. And, and I think you've got to be careful you don't fall into the into the same trap there with uh, with the Sunwolves. Just I p- put that comment up because Shane does reckon that you look like a number 10 kicker, and I don't think he means Dan Carter. So <laughs> – 
But I've also got a photo with uh, Marcel Katsia, and in that photo, I also looked like a man. So okay. uh, that's who I thought you guys he's, were going for. I would have been much happier with Marcel. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, if, if it's a loose forward, I'm thinking more Marco van Staden, eh? <laughs> Yeah, well, okay. Well, at least he's actually looking like a, 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 a lot of the rugby players now. Um, but let's, let's stick with you, talk about some of the other performances. We touched on, okay, let's start off with the Blues up against the Chiefs because this was a typical, I mean, it's so cliched and that, but everyone was saying this is typical Blues. I know from a punting point of view, you backed the Blues to lead at halftime and, you, and the Chiefs to come back and win, and you probably got around seven, eight to one on that. So that was a nice play. But wasn't it just typical? I mean, the Blues at one stage, I mean, they were well clear. Were they 19 or 24 clear? And somehow they find a way to lose these games. And they do it season in and season out. And the question is, can the Blues come back from that home defeat? Or is this just another season of mediocrity for them? I must say for this for this one time, I thought the, the lead was just too big. I thought the Blues had, had done enough there. I thought, geez, uh, who's, who's back this Chiefs team to win the, to, to win the whole thing? Because they, they looked out of it and... I was surprised that the Blues really taking them on up front at, at scrum time. I know there was a rolling wall try or two for the for the Chiefs, but um, at, at scrum time, I thought the Blues handled them, and I was surprised at that, and that really had me had me concerned about the punts that I had on, on the Chiefs. But, uh, yeah, the Chiefs, Chiefs came back, and, oh, Brent, I think it's... Uh, no, let's let's not get your hopes up or anyone's hopes up on, on the Blues. I think it's going to be same old, same old. You know, you can't uh, you can't cheat the old dog new tricks. They're not going to win this trophy, and... Um, yeah, if, if we want to go on to the to the New Zealand conference in general, I think um, they might have a chance. We have to see the Islanders uh, perform, but they might have a chance of having a, a mid a mid level finish there. But uh, I must say, you know, I'm I'm hell of a impressed by the Crusaders. I thought the Crusaders were were sublime. I mean, what they do on attack is is crazy. Those offloads and just the interplay and and how they know what the other guy's going to do, and they were pretty rock solid at, at the front as well. And you know, for a team that's lost the caliber of players that they have, obviously in in a tight, hard game like they're going to have this weekend, it's it's going to be interesting to see see how they're going to come. But I mean, uh, you know, uh, Taylor there and and Braden Enor and guys like that stepping, stepping into the show and just uh, dictating terms that was very impressive. And and I must say, I'm I'm starting to wonder whether anyone can beat them after week one. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And Jared, coming in, we've got a massive game coming up this weekend. We've got the Chiefs at home to the Crusaders. And I mean, early days in the season, but you get the feeling if the, if the Crusaders can come out now and beat the Chiefs away, it's, it's almost like they're going to be out of sight before you know it in, in, in the New Zealand conference. So this is a big one. And uh, you know, your opinions on, on the Chiefs, Blues and Crusaders? Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. Um, I found that the, the Crusaders just... They're a terrible side to play because uh, you feel like you're in the game the whole time. I was watching the Waratahs uh, Crusaders and I thought, yes, the the Waratahs are really in this. Like, they're really in it. I looked at the halftime score and the Crusaders were leading by 20 points. I just thought to myself, where did all those points come from? And it's it's just that the they'll be attacking, 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 and then all of a sudden the Crusaders turn over the ball and they behind the posts in the next 30 seconds and you don't realize it but yeah the the crusaders they, they had so many players leave and i saw um in new zealand they speak about um them losing their Ro royals uh rolls royce pack but 
the way they stepped up in that game and just blew the Waratahs away, I don't think they will be too too concerned from now on. Um, the Blues, yeah, like you said, it's uh, just the same old Blues season after season. Um, I was quite impressed by the Joe Marchant, how quickly he moved in from the Harlequins and just slots of right team in Super Rugby. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if Barrett, Barrett can even help in that much, to be honest with you. Um, I guess the worry is that when Barrett arrives, it's almost too late, perhaps. I mean, what's he missing the first few games, eh? Yeah, I think he's missing the first full half of the season. So, I don't know. We, we'll see if uh, the Blues can piece together a few wins against uh, the Australians, maybe pick up a home win over the Highlanders. Then maybe we start talking about them coming in on the lower end of the quarterfinals, and then yeah, maybe bar some Barrett magic will get them through a quarterfinal. But uh, I, I struggle to see that, to be honest. Um, with the with the Chiefs, the Chiefs I think can only get better, and I, I think when uh, you have a look at Nathan Harris missing from their side, um, you see you see how much how much of a difference a hooker can make in your scrum. Because the the Blues shouldn't scrum them like that, and I think Harris was really missed there, and I think the same thing happened with Ireland this weekend, where Ireland's pack came under some pressure, and it's the first game since Rory Best is gone, and yeah, I think you you can see where the, uh, you miss out some hookers there. So, Jared, just to stay with you, quickly touch on the Australian Conference before we talk about the Six Nations. Just, to just, the Australian uh, Conference. Oh, sorry, just, you've just quickly as a as a last thing on on the New Zealand one, I, it was just I mean it was great seeing we we always call this and I think most of us in in any previews was the effect the the Chiefs bench would have especially Aaron Cruden uh, coming mm. coming on of the bench there and geez what an impact he made uh, I mean slotting back there easy job but he, he did it and he had the presence of mind to do it and that that semi break and and offload at the end there I mean, it's like you just. I know they say you can't buy experience, but you bloody well can, and it costs you quite a quite a few uh, few dollars. And obviously, they probably forked it out, but it it worked for them, and he was he was magic. And then just just a quick one, he, he was you know well off color towards the end of of last season. But Rico Ioni, that was a impressive little stunt there from him in the first game. And if he can keep that up, you know he's going to be right back in that uh, in that All Black setup and and being a being a force to be reckoned with. I thought he was he was pretty good at some charges then, and he looked he looked very good. Yeah, and they said he's uh, he kilograms before the start of the season. He felt he was overweight, and yeah, whether that's a whether that's a real fact or if it's just a, a mindset that he's put himself in, he, he looks very sharp. I was also very impressed with him. Um, he looked like the Rico that came back and tore Test rugby apart, and that's uh, only a scary thing for the All Blacks when we have to face them. <laughs> But but just 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 on that just on that quickly guys as well sorry sorry Brent to, to get no, stuck no. on that but how the how the heck do the Crusaders have George Bridge and Siba Reese on the bench George Reese not even playing and and um, uh, what's that other Makalele or whatever the the other uh, winger not even in the picture and they pick this other bloke and he's an absolute bloody monster. And um, and Watson was was great as well. And they've got like these. You you can struggle to drop the two wingers that were playing this weekend. And meanwhile, they've got two All Blacks waiting in the wings. I mean, it's it's absolutely crazy the kind of depth that that the Crusaders have at the moment. 
No, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, like you say, they the team to beat. That's plain and simple. I mean, Enos Enos started off on the wing, and they've moved him into the centres because of all their outside backs. The embarrassment of riches there for them. I don't think we can say the same, Jared, about Australian rugby at the moment. I got the feeling from what I watched that, I mean, the Rebels, like I said earlier, you know, the Rebels had some terrible preseason results, but all of us say every season, and we normally write, ignore preseason results, they mean nothing. But after that, that Rebels defeat to the Sunwolves, you're thinking maybe they did. And even, I don't know, if anything, the team that probably impressed the most from the Australians, I didn't see the Waratahs play the Crusaders, was, was perhaps even the Reds, even though they did go down in the end uh, to the Brumbies. They, they look like they're going to win their own conference games uh, the against each other, but they're going to lose to everyone else. Yeah, well, uh, they did start off with the loss to the Brumbies, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I do understand where you're coming from. Um, they have got a solid pack, but I, I just feel that um, this season is pretty much a deciding season for Brad Thorne. I think if uh, he doesn't produce results and actually do something and get into a quarterfinal, I think he's sort of done at the Reds because he's he's got a extremely strong team. He's got um, some great talented youngsters, and his pack is he's actually got a strong pack. I think they've possibly got the strongest pack in the Australian Conference now, which is saying something because the Brumbies Brumbies kept quite a lot of their pack from last season, and their pack decimated a lot of teams last year. But yeah, like I say, I think it's his uh, season to to prove himself, and I, I find it quite weird how well um, received he is in Australia. I think that's uh, possibly just because of uh, his reputation as a player that's coming through. But yeah, um, for me, the Waratahs were quite impressive. They've got a new winger. Um, they reckon he's the next Palau. His his first name is Mark. There's no way I'm attempting his, his surname. But yeah, he looks pretty impressive. Uh, he he scored a very nice try uh, on his debut, and then followed it up with the intercept, which is, and he looks very very solid. But yeah, um, what, what what was very big for the Australian sides this week is I think that uh, their halfback pairings all played a massive role in their results. Um, the the Waratahs halfback pairings looked pretty decent. They look um, quite promising. Um, so do the so do the Reds, but uh, the Brumbies. I think they're going to suffer a bit without Lelio Farmer this year, and I think uh, Tamua and Frank Lamani need to settle in at the Rebels and sort of take over from where Cooper and uh, Genya left off, because I think that's that's where the Rebels I think really really lost their way. It's going to be a long, hard season catch for me for these Australian sides. Um, one thing I just want to touch on from a betting angle, I just had a look at the Australian conference betting, Brumbies 11 to 10. Now, from all the reports I was seeing on Twitter and a couple of WhatsApp groups, the Reds were monstering them. Yes, uh, sorry if I said it incorrectly earlier, but they, they lost the game. But on that performance, I certainly wouldn't be taking 11 to 10 Brumbies. And if you're looking for betting value, you're looking for a team to beat them. Now, is that the Waratahs at 28 to 10? Is it the Reds at... 33 to 10, or you can the Rebels even come back after their shocking start at 5 to 1? But for me, I'm looking to beat the Brumbies for the conference. 
No, I, I agree with you too, in a in a sense there, Brent. I, I thought, um, firstly, I mean, the Rebels, the money was absolutely shocking. I mean, it's it's huge boots to fill, but uh, I mean, he couldn't fill a plucky. That was that was pathetic. I mean, I don't, I don't know what happened there. He was he was shocking. So I don't, and they didn't seem to have a guy on the bench because they didn't they didn't make a change. So I don't know what happened there. Um, they they in trouble if they don't have a second second uh, option at at half back or I don't know. Otherwise, he has to really improve. I'm actually quite a big fan of Tamua. I thought he he played a decent. He was he was the form fly off in in Australia, which I don't know. Maybe it doesn't say much, but he he was he was looking good towards the end of last season. And and yeah, it wasn't wasn't his best game. Again, I like. Um, uh, Billy Meeks as well at, at inside. So, geez, I mean, there's a lot to like about the Rebels, Corabetti, uh, but but Brad Hodge, I mean, it was like he didn't play in that game. He was nowhere. Ailet Petty had a, had a decent one. So, it's, it's a heck of a back line and, and somehow they just didn't get their things going. I mean, they had one Rowley Moore try, so the forwards went too bad and, and they put them under pressure towards the end there, but I don't know where it happened, where it went wrong, but it just, it just did. So, can the rebels pull it back from there? I don't know. It's it's a it's a tough one, but as I say, player wise, I think they've got it. But after that loss, and as we said preseason, I don't know what's happening in the heads at the moment. But I think the next game or two is going to tell us everything about the rebels. And if they don't don't bounce back and bounce back soon, then then they're going to be in for a long season. Uh, Waratahs, I thought they're talking about the new Falau. That guy is is he's much taller than Falau. I was I was expecting a bit of a monster, and he's. He's decent. He's quick, but uh, he's he's you know he's under 21. He's still got to fill that frame a bit. Uh, he's not monstering anyone. I'm not scared of the Waratahs. I think they I think they're average. I don't think they're going to do anything. Uh, Reds I like. I thought they were good as well. Again, the pack monstered the Brumbies in the first half. I was super surprised. I had Brumbies one to twelve. I was ready to throw the bet in the bin after seeing two scrums on DSTV now, and I thought this is. A horrid, horrid start to my Super Rugby campaign, yeah. And uh, somehow, somehow the the Brumbies just stuck at it, and I think that's like the whole motto of the Brumbies. The last, uh, I don't know, probably forever, is they just know how to to stick stick with it and stick in, and they're the one Australian team that knows how to win ugly, and you know that that could just keep them keep them in the mix. And I don't think you can throw them away. Uh, Reds, obviously, great great quality at the back, and I thought they. Impressed in patches, and when they're going to play at home, they're probably going to be a tough, tough nut to crack. And as Joe said, you know, Brad Thorne probably has he done a lot as a coach. I don't know. Maybe it's just his um, his reputation as a player. But I think everyone was hoping that he'd um, you know sort out the forward issues. I think that was the whole ish aspect there is thinking that the Reds have got all this quality at the back. If they can just get someone who can get them that steal, you know, and just just harden them up up front. Then, uh, then this this team could really do the business, and yeah, I think as uh, Jared said, maybe this is the season where he's going to be uh, he's going to be weighed, and, and we're going to see whether he's going to come up short or not. So that's it, and I still don't think the the Sunwolves are in the running. So to me, um, scratch the Waratahs, worry about the Brumbies, the Reds, and the Rebels. Probably at the price, you got to fancy the Rebels maybe to bounce back, but I've. Uh, Feeling the the Reds aren't out of this one, and it's going to be a big game this weekend at at Ellis for them. Yeah, that's going to be very exciting. Well, certainly, I'm thinking high scoring match there, guys. Uh, let's move on to the Six Nations now. We can touch on any general topics at the end, but I'm going to pop up to Jared there. Jared, week one of Six Nations, we had Wales with a comfortable win, probably as expected over an Italy side that is destined for yet another wooden spoon. 
uh, Ireland. Uh, well, let's let's chat first about that Wales performance. Can we can we read anything into that? I mean, are Wales big contenders this year? I mean, Ireland, uh, Italy. We don't even have to discuss. We know they they gone. They they're unlikely to cause any upsets. Yeah. So I think with uh, England going down in the in the first round to France, I think it sort of opened it up a bit. Um, we we all sort of expected Wales to brush past Italy. By that margin, I, I didn't think it was going to be that big. And uh, to know them as well, especially with Sean Edwards having just left, you can see his structures have uh, stayed there with uh, with Wales, and that was good to see. But, yeah, Wayne Pivak seems to um, give them a little bit more freedom than what Gatlin did. And if they can keep their defensive system the way it is and uh, attack uh, with a little bit more of that Scarlet's approach, then yes, um, I think Wales, you can start reading into them defending the Six Nations. But uh, yeah, uh, I think um, it will all depend on how England bounces back, how France uh, carry on playing. And yeah, they, they do still have a few injuries. So once uh, those players come back, they start looking a little bit more powerful as well. Couch, let's have your quick comment on Wales before we move on to Ireland, Scotland. Yeah, Brent, I saw some some highlights and I saw it in in, in patches, and I think that's that's exactly when you're going to see this season. I, I don't think they're going to be contenders, but I think they can, um, you know, they can entertain. I think they're going to be given a little bit more freedom this this year, and then hopefully they'll they'll expect more from them next season. But just just find their attacking attacking flair and and find their form this season and it was it was a good game to watch but you know it's always easy and to me the more concerning thing and i know um, nick mallet touched on it as well is you know it's not not a great start for franco smith and he's he's going to be under pressure soon enough you know it's it's almost like you know you, you're not starting off a, off a high base there at, at italy but they want to start moving up you know they they're under pressure they're hearing talks about georgia and those kind of things and you know, when are you going to start competing and really being someone to take serious? And, you know, he, he's under pressure to deliver. And as he, he mentioned, which was very true, is, you know, the, the tough thing is you can you can come there with this cheetah kind of style and want to play expansive rugby, but Italy has only got so many rugby players. You know, you gotta you got to try and suit your, your game to, to the type of players you have in Italy. And that's that's going to be the trick for Franco is, you know, how's he going to blend the, the perfect balance there for something that's going to work for Italy? It's, I don't know, it's it's, it's a tough gig. Yeah, a just jump in there quickly. Um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Franco's actually um, only the head coach for the Six Nations. Uh, um, I think he moves into assistance coach role once they've uh, actually found the person they want to, to lead the team. I don't think he's the full-time head coach. So I, th I think that will be better once they have somebody that's got maybe a clearer um, or more experienced way of leading a test side with him working with backs and the attack. I think Italy will get a bit stronger. Guys, let's move on to Ireland up against Scotland. I'm just bringing it up. There's a couple interesting post by Shane. They're saying he heard uh, behind the scenes the players were quite happy to see the back of Joe Schmidt. He was... He was uh, oppressive, and uh, Chris did come in and say the guys the guys didn't look too oppressed in the in the World Cup. In fact, they looked like they lacked discipline. <laughs> Ireland uh, managing to get the win, although Scotland uh, probably should have at least grabbed a, a draw out of that one. With I haven't seen well, I've seen a, a few things on Twitter, but I, I, I didn't watch the game. 
But uh, just touching on that Ireland thing, uh, Ireland was so disappointing in the World Cup. Were you were you impressed with them, Couch, on, on the weekend? It's you know Scotland are always these plucky fighters. It's almost like they that's where they get their you know their joy from. Their reason for living is putting up a decent fight and coming up short. I don't, I don't want any Scottish coming after me there, but uh, that that's pretty much what they do. You know they they fight hard, but they just don't quite have the quality and quite have the strength to beat the big unions, especially away from home. So. You know, it's it's almost like you can pin in a one to ten win for their opponents uh, in in that type of game. You know, they're never gonna be made look like fools, but they're always uh, gonna be in it, but never really really win the big one. So to me, it was a normal Scottish performance, and it was a pretty pretty normal Irish performance. It, it was decent in times from Ireland, but I don't really see them competing with the with the very best at this stage. It'll actually be a crack of a game between them and Wales at this stage. I think that's gonna be a in, you know, a, a pretty good contest, but uh, yeah, I think I think we'll probably go on to England just now. So then, then I'll move move on to those guys. But yeah, it was it was decent enough from Ireland, but I don't think anything. Just on the on the Schmidt, maybe I can I can focus on that. You know, it's it's almost like Jake White and to lesser extent John Mitchell. But it's, as soon as the guys start losing a little bit, they say, oh, the coach was too too strict, and and I think that comes if you know you you build guys up to that level of just being close to the top and then you try and you know push them just over it and that's when that really strict kind of thing comes in and you try and really get them that extra inch and, and some players thrive on it and some players just you know they're professionals and driving their ferraris to to training and and they don't like that extra little push and and then you get some of them moaning so you know i still think he's a quality coach and, and i don't think it's like they were absolutely in close to rebellion but obviously one or two guys might be a little bit uh you know, soft for this whole thing and thinking, listen, I don't, I don't need this. It's interesting you say that because I was actually going to make virtually the same point. Uh, you know, I was going to use Mitchell as an example as well. You look at a coach, you look at certain coaches who have got a style and, 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 and let's call it a hard style, a disciplined style. I always find when those coaches go to a team, they have great success in the early stages because everyone kind of buys into the system and everyone's going and everything's great. But something happens and, and it probably all it takes is one or two players and and, and all of a sudden, you'll find, I mean, a guy like Mitchell, I mean, he didn't last with the force. And he, even though he, he changed the whole line style of play, I think Ackerman picked up on that. But he was gone. You know, he was too strict and too much this and that. And I guess it's always a problem in a situation where players do have a lot of say. And and maybe Joe Schmidt, as you say, was just uh, the same. So, so it is fascinating because it always suggests to me that if you get a coach like a Joe Schmidt, you want to bring him in two years before a World Cup. Because at that stage, he'll... He'll have his positive impact, and then before the negative impact starts, you you, you bring him down. So interesting one because uh, you know I mean a guy like uh, not that he had a negative impact, but a guy like Rusty only required eighteen months to win a World Cup. So interesting to see. And, uh, and Brent and Brent, I think there's almost like a certain type of coach that also tries better with youngsters. You know, guys who haven't quite got themselves to that that prima donna kind of stage. You know, they're still willing to take things on board and. And I think that's probably what what Rossi did well is he managed egos and and just got everyone buying into this whole system and and believing in in it. And often I think John Mitchell is very good when he's got youngsters and guys who are are, are willing to listen. And you know maybe first season at the Lions, first season at the Bulls, you know it's all new, it's all flashy, it's it's all great. But as soon as he starts getting into a third or fourth season and he's working with you know some some guys who are established stars, then it starts. Uh, you know, becoming a bit of an issue when he takes them out in public and, and that kind of thing. And I think 
you know the big thing even even your bigs like uh, Nick Mallet and those kind of guys it's it's tough when you under pressure and, and having to realize that a certain guy you know you need to motivate in a certain way and and other guys you know you can't can't call them out in public because that's just going to crush them so you know uh, the big thing about top top coaching is it's not about teaching a guy to pass the ball through a hoop or throw the hooker to hit, hit the stop sign in, in the line out it's about managing personalities and, and that's a tough part about it yeah, let's go up to Jared and get his opinions on uh, on uh, Ireland against Scotland and perhaps uh, the comments on Joe Schmidt. Yeah, um, I, I thought it was quite a good performance from Scotland. Um, I see a lot of people are going on about um, how, how poor the Irish were, but I don't think they were necessarily too poor. I think uh, Scotland were just very, very good on the day. Um, I think uh, Stuart Hogg will be hard in his face for most of this week. Um, yeah, it's, it's not it's not the way you want to start off uh, your first game as uh, test captain. So yeah, um, I, what I, what I did find interesting with Ireland is that um, they did seem to have a bit more um, tricks up their sleeve, um, particularly when it came in the 22. Um, I found that under Schmidt, um, they would just take it phase after phase after phase, and eventually get over after 30 or 40 phases. And then you see Jonathan Sexton's first try where um, Kian Healy just pops it out the back to him and he goes through and scores. So I, th I think there will be some changes from um, Farrell coming, uh, going forward. He is very defense heavy, but uh, I think we will see a little bit. Uh, he, he does come from a rugby league background, so I don't know if we'll see any trick plays from rugby league coming out there. Um, just a bit of, bit of difference to watch Smith did. Um, Staying on Schmidt, I think what, what happened with him is I think a lot of pressure came, he, he, the pressure got to him during the World Cup. I think that was his major mistake. Um, I read a thing with Rory Best where he said that uh, Schmidt used to give them the last two days of um, in the build-up to a game, the players were pretty much running it. And um, he said during the World Cup, Schmidt almost overtook those two days again and was just pumping them with information and it just got too much and the players didn't have enough control and I think that's sort of where they lost it but yeah like Hans says he's still he's still a fantastic coach and I mean if you can get him in your systems you want him in your systems but yeah he 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 is very restrictive in the way he does things and he wants things done this way and if you don't fit in and you leave um Last thing on him, I think he also made a very big mistake leaving out Devon Toner for, uh, for the World Cup. Um, I, I think when he did that, he sort of um, got on a lot of the, he got on the bad side of a lot of the um, senior players in the squad. And it was sort of like, it dampened the morale at a time where you really don't want to do that. So I think that... Uh, the pressure got to him and he made a few mistakes that really, really cost Ireland. Yeah, I think that's a good a good point. That, uh, and I hadn't heard the story about the fact that his routine changed that before the games. Makes a lot of sense. And it's a bit like golfers missing putts and stuff. It shows you what, what, what pressure can do to you. But, Jared, I want to stay with you now for the next one because I see uh, – you're wearing a jersey that I find very attractive. I've got, I've got to tell you, <laughs> the old French jersey. Yeah? They were they were absolutely yeah. superb, weren't they? They were brilliant. They were brilliant, and uh, it, it's it 
it uh, was almost it almost felt like uh, at halftime you were just expecting England to come out and uh, wipe them away. And but like the, uh, they like Wales did to France last year, and well Wales did it to they France. Did. They did. They did one. <laughs> they, they did, but it was uh, it was it was Johnny May. It was just Johnny May that was playing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was great to see the French and. Um, yeah, I, I see now just quickly the comment about uh, how Scotland missed Finn Russell. I think that uh, was a big one going back on that game. But yeah, I, I think uh, Eddie Jones um, pumped up the French. And I think a lot of the players, um, normally normally your senior players would ignore what they, what's they what been said in the media and um, whatever's going on. But uh, I think the youngsters in France uh, saw what Eddie Jones said and said, let's... Uh, Let's prove him wrong. And um, I see here another comment on Sean Edwards. And Edwards, you could see immediately that the French defense was miles better than it's been probably for the last decade. But all of a sudden, France learns how to defend. And, yeah, they pull off a great victory over over England. I think the, the final score line is really flattering. Like, if you didn't see the game and you saw that, you're like, oh, okay, well done, France. You just beat... Uh, the World Cup runners up, but uh, I, I think it was a great game. Yeah, they were absolutely dominant, weren't they, Couch? I mean, uh, it was a game that I didn't get involved in from a betting uh, from a betting angle at all, but I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. The intensity of that French team. The only thing that worries me, Couch, is you know me. I love the French and I love backing them to win World Cups. I don't want them playing so well four years out because I want to get a nice juicy nine or ten to one closer to the time. It looks like I'm going to have to stick with my policy of putting 50 rand on them every week for the next 160 odd weeks or whatever it is. Brent, I think I can tell you now the 10 to 1 you're going to struggle to get. I mean, this is uh, unless they slip up again, we we in trouble here. If they go on and, and win the Six Nations, uh, I think our double figures are are, are pretty much gone. But I mean, I don't know. It's it's quite interesting. Everyone saying this whole dominant they dom dominated the the physical exchanges. Which I mean, is it's all about rugby. But geez, uh, I think um, from the twentieth minute, it was bloody. It was all England. It was absolutely. It was like a, a team parking the bus. There, it was in 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 football. It it was all England and and France hit them twice with with those uh, sucker sucker punches and they did the old rope a dope and and they got the got the win. Mm -hmm. Me the, the big difference as uh, as Jared said there's just the defense you know they kept up on defense because England England didn't throw anything strange at them on attack they thought they'd just take it one up runner one up runner and and eventually the wall would break and it just didn't you know they kept on winning those turnovers and you know there was I think uh, I wouldn't even if you if you check the stats I'm I'm pretty sure it would have been absolutely shocking stats for that second half England, France got in there off once and they scored a try and and that's it. The rest of the time, England were absolutely camped there. It was just one wave after the other, and you know France just put up put up the barricades and then held out. I know it was a you know a magic moment from May that scored a try, but before that, it was all England. But as I said, they just they just never got something going. They kept doing the the one on one, and it was almost strange to see the forwards. It was like they they ran out of puff there. They you know some guy would carry it up, and the others would just stand and and look at them and think, oh well, okay, you know he's five meters in front of me, I'm not going to get to that rock. I mean, that that to me was the big difference. you got to clear that and you got to clear that pace. And and I think Eddie's got to wonder what the heck happened there. And then that eighth-man move was an absolute shock. I mean, 
Eddie, yeah. Eddie absolutely cocked up the game right there. He, he didn't have an eighth man who can control the scrums and they were absolutely dominant and, and he kept letting it slip out of the back, which, I mean, just keep it in, win the penalty and get yourself a rolling more. So to me, that was that was a, a very, very big faux pas there from all the Eddie Jones. And then obviously, as you guys said as well, the, the big talking. I think sometimes his own players have to look up and, and say, geez, Eddie, just keep your mouth shut, man, please. We will do the job on the pitch. You just shut up because... I mean, you you making you know you giving those guys incentives and you psyching up the opponents and just let us go out and play rugby, and but I still think I think England um, surprisingly enough I think they'll get the job done. They're probably not worth their price, whatever they're going to be in the market. But I think England uh, will come back firing after this one. They won't be they'll they won't be happy with themselves. I've got to say, for me, Eddie Jones is one of those coaches, and I think he's a great coach. But to me, Eddie should have left after the World Cup. I thought he had his crack at it. He came jolly close to winning. I mean, he, on the, in the final, they were dominated. They turned in a great performance against New Zealand. But I've got a funny feeling that Eddie, perhaps for slightly different reasons, is going to start annoying people over in England. And and I've got a feeling things are maybe not going to turn out that well. But I suppose uh, time will tell on that one. Uh, Shane did come in and point out that, yes, all the 10-to-1 France gone. It's 8-to-1 now. It's just too many years away to start tying up money on France. But you know who I'm going to be on come 2023. Very little doubt about that. Couch, um, you wanted to also chat about uh, some of the scrum off performances with Jared? And talking yeah, of scrum off, uh, comment there about Ben Young's. It wasn't his biggest, it wasn't his best performance, was it? Yeah, so so there we go. We've got we've got one bad one. And as I said, Lomani to me, those two had absolute stinkers at, at nine. And then we had some absolute blinders there. Uh, Herschel Yankees with that cross kick and his own score. He was he was pretty good. And I think the nice thing and, and that's gonna be good to watch him this season is is his progression. Now I've always said he's a good um firecracker kind of scrum off, but can he have that balance uh between being, you know, good in the service and good in his primary job? And to me that's what DuPont did. Fantastically, you know, I'm pretty much ready to make him the best uh, scrum off in world rugby at present. You know, he's got good service, he's got a good tactical kick, and then he's got that, you know, superb acceleration, that eye for a gap. And now, oh, no, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've got, um, I think it is um, Donovan, who's a big uh, prop fan. And obviously, me, I, I used to be a scrummy at school, so I'm a big scrum off fan. And, um, I just I just love the way Dupont Dupont plays. He's a he's a firm favorite of mine. So that was superb. And then yeah, obviously I just had a soft space for Elder uh, Noamba scoring that winner. Firstly for the Sharks and secondly being a scrum off and thirdly having money on him. So that was uh, that was superb. So great stuff by the scrummies. What do you yeah. make of that, Jared? I've got to say Noamba really impressed me. I think he's going to be the starting shark scrum off before long. Yeah, well, uh, how, how Lewis Schroeder has held onto that uh, jersey for so long, it blows my mind. Um, I, I was watching the Sharks game from afar with the sound off. and So w me watching it with no Twitter or anything backing it up, I was just watching him. I thought he, he just looked, he, he's just looking more and more off the pace with, with every season that goes by. It's, it's very much what's happening with England and Ben Young. See, Eddie sort of just doesn't want to let go of him and the Sharks just don't want to let go of Shooter. So, yeah, I think the the quicker they get him out, the better. And um, it's not like they just throwing it to a youngster for, for the New Jersey. They've got Cameron White there as well, uh, right there as well, who if uh, things start going badly, you chuck him on and he can do, can do his thing. Um, 
yeah, and then moving on to Dupont, I'm also very ready to call him the best scrum off in the world already. I think uh, I, I really do think that he is better than Puff already. And uh, what I love about him is that he's he's got this thing of um, the French scrum offs can often go like full maverick and do something outrageous, and then it either pays off brilliantly or it goes absolutely wrong. And that's like, exactly uh, like, like um like like kicking a ball dead of a minute to go. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and given England the losing point. What was he doing there? I've, I've, I've seen some guys on Twitter discussing the fact that one guy actually came up with a theory that he knew there was X amount of time left in the game. By kicking it out, he forced the restart, which was run the clock down. I mean, there's no way he was thinking that. It was a, no. it was a crazy move, and it was it was almost hilarious. But, I mean, by then, the, the game was pretty much won. No, I, I, saw, I saw today that uh, he said, no, next time he'll make sure that uh, he's got his contacts in properly. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, he did have that small lapse. But uh, watching him quite often with Toulouse and with France, he doesn't have those um, moments. Normally with French scrum halves, they have one of those moments at least once a game. And uh, he, ju he just seems to control it. And that's that's what I think makes him world class. France, France produce scrum halves the way we've been producing scrum halves lately, but they've been doing it for decades. And now I think they've eventually got somebody that's that's not going to go completely completely mad and throw games away all the time. He's he's going to win a lot of games for France. He really is. Yeah, I have to, I have to agree with and you. One as as a fly off as well, Couch is pretty impressive. I was gonna I was gonna say, and and hopefully they finally got a scum off that they're not gonna try and make a fly off. You know that's that's kind of been been the French thing. So hopefully at the same time, you know that that Intermark and and Dupont combination is actually one that, you know that that could be fantastic. And it's almost the case of please let the French just not uh, bugger it up. You know just just keep it keep it in place and and let them grow together and and become a, a great great combination. You say that, but uh, I've seen Dupont play fly half, and he's actually a fantastic fly half as well. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think he played uh, fly half when uh, Toulouse uh, Toulouse managed to beat uh, Leinster last season. But uh, yeah, they've they've also got Intermac, uh, but they've also got this uh, Joel Bert or Yali Bert or whatever he's however you say it. But uh, he, he's on the bench for he was on the bench for France this weekend and. Uh, I wouldn't be too surprised if uh, they start chopping and changing between the two of them because they both they're both fantastic players and I think uh, eventually it will start being a form thing and at the moment I think Intermax only in there because of his uh, combination with Dupont rather than his actual form but I think eventually it will become a form thing between the two of them. Excellent, guys. Thanks very much for the chat. It's been a great show. I love talking Super Rugby. It was great to have Super Rugby back. This weekend, I'm actually hoping to watch some Super Rugby. I was following it all on my phone the whole time. It was one of those things when your kids play sport, that tends to dominate, and I wouldn't give that up for anything, but uh, I did miss a bit of Super Rugby. But my historically, I'm not the best starter in Super Rugby. And uh, in fact, Super Brew, I got the Blues uh, wrong. I went for them over the Chiefs. So I was one of those people quite relieved to see the Sunwolves win and take the Grand Slam point away from from everyone else, except that one pool that I'm playing in where 
where where five guys went for for the Sunwolves. But Jared, thanks. It's been great having you on. Always enjoy your your reviews on Twitter. And if you're looking for for Jared on Twitter, he reviews uh, the, all the South Africans. Well, not all of them, but uh, the major South Africans playing abroad. It's always good. Do you do that research? I mean, where, where do you find that research at the club's website, or what's your source there? Uh, normally use the Ultimate Rugby app, but uh, you have to start getting creative when you start looking at the Japanese teams. Uh, start fishing around for stats on those and uh, videos on those. But uh, yeah, pretty much. There's uh, I, I try con I try to get through as many South Africans as I can on a Monday, but uh, there's only so much you can do, and there's so many South Africans abroad. <laughs> I try to keep uh, up to date on the big ones at least. Excellent. Well, thanks very much to all the guys in the live chat as well. Great having you, as always. Uh, some of our overseas uh, visitors coming in there. And Couch, thanks for joining us on this on this business trip. But, hey, uh, I hope it's a good day and a productive one tomorrow for you. Cheers, Ben. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, great as always to chat and nice having Jared on for for a bit of a chat there. And thanks, guys. And yeah, Shane and Chris and uh, everyone in the chat. It was uh, good as usual and. Yeah, tune in, tune in to Brent and the boys on, on Thursday if you want to make some money. They're in, they're in fine form. Yeah, that's it. Uh, just a, a little bit of admin is Super Rugby, uh, the, the handicap rugby chat that matters. That, of course, is taking place, and I'll bring the details down at 9 o'clock. Also, do subscribe to the channel if not yet done, and, and we've also got our newsletter and that at the bottom. But, Jared, just a question here that's popped up. Shane asking, I don't know why, normally the Twitter handles, I don't know if you put yours on, I don't know why they're not, I don't see them tonight. It must be the view that I'm using. What is your Twitter handle there uh, so the guys can follow you? Uh, it's Jared Rott, J-A-R-E-D-W-R-R-G-H-T-17. Excellent. Jared Wright 17. And, yeah, definitely well worth a follow on Twitter. Jared, thanks very much. Couch, thanks a lot. And uh, as I say, to all the other guys, thanks. And we'll uh, catch you Thursday night for the Handicap Rugby Chat that matters. Just to mention to the punters, uh, GG Gaming gone mad at 8.15. Now, I've still got to do the admin on last week's show, but plenty of betting vouchers given away. And Gary did say he'd go double, so we're going to hold him to that this week. So don't miss that show, 8.15 live on Thursday. Thanks, everyone, and have a great week.